Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 41. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Why do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, this is the text in front of us. I um, what I. I'm going to actually change the text. I actually am going to change, not the, not the actual text, I'm going to change my translation. You'll see why. You'll see why in a little bit, I think. Hold on a second here. You see this last little line here? And many believed into him there. Um, I, that's my mistake. I did not put this last line in the worship. And it, it's essential to the message. But I wanted to make sure you knew it was there. We're going to go, what we're going to do today, this is our plan of attack with God's word. Oh gosh, what did I do? I don't know. Uh, all right, just if we click on that. But um, thank you. What I want to do first, and I, I'm hoping to do, is to just kind of jump into the story and the theology. Let me give you an example. Uh, have, you, anybody, have any of you ever taken a tour of a, of a, of a precious... Um, uh, minerals mine, a mine, a, a gold mine. Anybody ever taken a tour of a gold mine? I recommend you do it. It's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. They got them all over uh, Colorado you, when you go up into the, in the mountains. And in fact, as you go up from Denver up into the mountains, there there's there's little stops you can make, and there and there are there are mines, gold mines. There's gold in them. Our hills. All right. So. Uh, the re- w- w- that's actually true about this. this. This is such a rich vein of theological truth 
and narrative. It's, there's so much packed in here. There's perseverance of the saints. There's the, the theology of, of the image of God. There's the divinity of Christ. They're all rolled into a, a confrontation between Jesus and the, the religious leaders of his day. So anyway, what I want to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work the text. I just want to work through it all from beginning to end. When we're done with that, there's an Easter, well, as we go through it, we're going to find an Easter egg. You know what an Easter egg is? Easter egg's a secret in the text. There's a secret in the text. There really is. And you wouldn't know it unless you had studied it. And there's actually a secret feature to the text that John designed. And we are in the middle of his book. In fact, the very middle words of the whole book of John are in this text. And John crafted his book in such a way that the middle statement, the very middle words, I wonder if you can find them up there, the middle words of the book are on the, in his paragraphs. And then, and so there, what this does, in, in a sense, this is several months after the previous conversation about sheep and doors and all that. So let's, let's just jump right in. The Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. It was about December 25th, in fact, because the, they were celebrating, what did the Jews celebrate at Christmas? Hanukkah. This is a Hanukkah celebration. Hanukkah's on on. This is fun stuff. This is, this is a joyous, joyous time of the people of God. In about 190 years before this, uh, a, a, a demonic madman named, named uh, what, was his, what was his name, Antipas? What, uh, no, I'm talking of the other, the other guy. What was his name? He'll come to me in a second. And he was a madman. He was known to be a madman. And he was regarded like that by other kings and everything. Anyway, he went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar. Pretty dramatic. Pigs were forbidden unclean animals, and he violated their, 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 their temple. He violated the sacrificial system. He violated their eating system. He violated everything. He's a, a madman. Well, after he did that, the Jews fought back with the Maccabees, and they restored the temple. Now, Christ sometimes calls himself what? What is Christ? Sometimes he talks about himself. Sometimes he says, he says he refers to himself as what? The temple. Sometimes he does that. And so it, there's something kind of rich here. And, and there's something kind of, it's, John is, he is, he is setting it up so you can, you can hear the allusion. Now, the Maccabees aren't in the Bible or anything. It doesn't matter. Because the rededication of the temple is here in Jesus, and he's playing with that. They don't see it, you see? They don't see it. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Again, why would John keep details like this? Some of it's historical. So you know he is claiming to write an historical book, not a, not a mythological one, not a fanciful one, not a fairy tale. He includes details of references of time and place because that's important. Salvation's material. It's in the world. It's in the real world. But no more than that, the colony of Solomon is where all the, all the Christians worship. Later. It's where the church first meets. And I think that's a part of what he's, he's reminding all these people who have worshipped in Solomon's colonnade uh, what happened there so they can, they can check in on it. At this point, uh, 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 Solomon's colony has been destroyed probably when this is being written because Jerusalem was destroyed. So the Jews gathered around him. The word here is encircled. They encircled him. They cut him off. They got around him. And they challenged him. In the previous chapter, could somebody get me some water, please? I need a little bit of, I thank you, Sigwin. 
Um, he, uh, so they're, they're coming back to him. If you are the Christ, tell us, what do they say? Plainly, just come out and tell us. Has Jesus told anybody else he's the Christ yet in John? Has Jesus told anybody else who he is, that he is the Messiah, the anointed one? Does anybody remember who he told? Thank you, Suwin. He told the hussy, remember? Remember the town whore, the town tramp? He honored her. He honored her above many, many people. He honored her above all the religious leaders of his day because he told her he was the Christ. But he won't tell them. He won't tell them. Why? What do you think? What do you think? Why does the, why does the girl, why does the town tramp get the love of Jesus, an invitation into all of his love and forgiveness, but the religious good people don't get to know who he is? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Because remember, when we get to the end of this service, I'm going to say that good people, what? Can't take communion. Only sinful people can. Remember? It's part of the answer right there. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He's going to talk about works three times. He talks about it there. He says, is it for the good works I did? And then down here he says, at least believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me. He's very concerned that at least they, they register and interpret and deal with what they saw. And what did they see? A man born blind had been healed. He was hoping, he's giving them every opportunity in their, in their political games and their manipulations and their attack on him. He's giving them every chance to know who he is. And then he goes into this the theology. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You're not my people. John never uses the word church. But every time you hear my sheep here, think church. Not among my church. My church listens. So there. Now, right here, you don't believe, in verse 27, John changes. Now, this is the, if you look on your translation, you'll see the difference. Actually, in the original Greek, the past tense, the ordinary way you talk, in the past tense, in the past, Jesus answered, that's past tense. At that time, they came and gathered, that's past tense. But in verse 27, the, the, the actual language changes, and it becomes, it becomes present. And in English, it's very awkward. We don't do this in English. We don't move from, from, from the uh, privileged observer in the third person to the first person like that, or to that immediacy present tense. It doesn't, we don't do that, but he does it. He does it right here. All of a sudden in verse 27, the pre it becomes present. My sheep are right now listening to my voice. I am getting to know them experientially right now, it's saying. They're walking around with me. I am giving them deep, lasting life. Now, this verse 27, the way I translated it here, I got from uh, Bruner's commentary. It's beautiful the way he translates this because it really makes it pop and come alive with its immediacy and its present tense. Then comes the Easter egg. Did you find it? This is the central, this is it. These are the central words of the whole book. And this is the premise of the book that you would finally know, that you would finally know what you didn't know before. You would finally see what you couldn't see. You would finally understand what was so mysterious. A God has walked in the earth. A God-man has come. I and the Father are one. It is the absolute claim that topples San Francisco and every nation on earth. He is the king. He is God. There's nothing like him. 
and his greatness. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Some of you might have a question about that. That is the ancient form of corporate execution. And there's a cleverness to it in this, that nobody knows which stone killed, and the whole community would kill a blasphemer or a disobedient adulterer or somebody like that, and the whole community would do it. That's how they killed in the Old Testament. They'd pick up stones and start throwing them. Jesus answered them, Now, you catch this, Christ is alive with the Holy Spirit right here. It's a scary thing when somebody picks up a stone and throws at you, right? He's not afraid. I have shown you many good works from the Father. So which one are you going to stone me for? <laughs> That's kind of a smart aleck question, isn't it? Answer, isn't it? It's a smart aleck. He's telling you you're not looking at the right things. It's fine. We're not doing that. We're not doing it for your good works because they can't deny those, but because of your blasphemy. You being a man, make yourself God. They don't miss what this thesis means. They don't miss the implication. They don't miss that it empties them of power. They don't miss that this is not the way it's supposed to work for those religious folks. Listen to them. This is really beautiful. Jesus answered them. And then Jesus plays games with them. And he drops another load of theology into them. <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful load of theology. Oh, I forgot the... No one is able to snatch them from my hand. That's perseverance of the saints. Uh, it's not written, I said you are gods. If you called them gods to whom the word of the Lord came and scripture cannot be broken, what's that? That's the doctrine of inerrancy and what the Bible is. He's just dropping gems and gorgeous teaching everywhere. The divinity of Christ, the perseverance of the saints. The, uh, remember, they, my sheep are listening to my voice. That's the inward witness of the spirit. These are the experience of God. Uh, I'm doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But look, listen how tender he is at the end. Believe the works. He's, he's even giving them kind of like a way out. You don't have to believe me. <laughs> Let me give you a chance. Just believe the works. He's so tender with them. He's so earnest. He's so inviting in his heart. But of course they can't. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Again, they sit to rest him, but he escapes. And they can't. And this is where that last line, and they believed into him. Many believed into him. And that is John's favorite idiomatic expression. He uses the preposition in this weird way to describe living faith. Okay. All right. Do you feel like you understand the text? I hope you do. <laughs> At least you have some grasp of it. There's treasure everywhere. I don't think I've got them all. I don't think I have everything. There's eternal life and, and hell's in here and uh, perseverance and all these things. Wow. It's beautiful. I think it's lovely. Uh, what I want to do is I want to focus on that, on the Easter egg. I am the father of one. Because he said, I am the son of God. Because I said, he said, I am the son of God. Just so you can clear, the father is in me and I am in the father. In case you have missed it, in case you don't understand the claim, look at how clearly he's tracking for them who he really is. Now, I and the Father are one. I love Augustine's word. Augustine in AD 400 is the first great preacher teacher of the church. He's the first metagenius. He's the first person who is who's one of the great minds of the history church. And he read this and he said, look, it's not different in nature because of the one. In other words, they're the same nature. God the Father, God the Son, they, they inhabit and, and possess all of the qualities and the, and the attributes of true divinity, eternity. 
Not different in nature because of the one. I even hear I and the Father are one sounds a lot like the Shema from, Israel, from Deuteronomy 6.5. What? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This replaces it. I and the Father are one. It's the great, it replaces the Shema, the great code of the Old Testament. One divine nature from Deuteronomy, but two distinct persons equal in power and glory interacting. He himself is fully God and fully man here. Christ is one person himself. He has titles, son of man and son of God. He uses both of those. He even uses it today to refer to himself through their words. Jesus Christ, the unique God man. So, I've said this over, I said this before. Now, in some way or, way or fashion, if I can get Jesus big enough to you, I think that's pretty much my job. My work in one sense is done. If I can make Jesus an object of your trust, your worship, your adoration, your seeking, your, your life, your, your, your being, if I can do that, uh, that's the win. And I can't do that. But if Jesus is doing that right, maybe he's doing it right now. Maybe he's doing it in you right now. Maybe he is, in a sense, expanding your, your sense of his greatness, your sense of his splendor, your sense of his majesty. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're starting to get a picture of how big and beautiful and wonderful he is and how wonderful he's being described in the scripture. But I want to go further than that. I want to, look, it doesn't really make a difference if it doesn't mean something right now. So why does John use the present tense? Why does he up the, why does he seem to want to get in your face and seem to, work the language, he works the tenses in a way that, that, what's he doing there? I think he's doing a couple of things. He's doing a couple of things he wants you to notice. And the first of them is this. Everything about Christianity is predicated. Everything about what was happening here, everything about this being possible, me talking, whatever, it's predicated. It assumes this thing, that Jesus Christ is alive now. You know, it was funny, uh, uh, it was the, the, who's mentioned the lampstands? Was that, was, that was that you, Corey? The lampstands we're studying in Revelation. And Christ tells one of the churches, I am the one who walks amongst the lampstands. What's the point here? Because the churches are the lampstands. What's he saying? I'm, walk I'm present. I am living. You don't know who I am unless you know I'm alive. I was dead, but I have risen from the dead. I am the God-man. I am totally unique in human history. I have forged a new way in my blood. <laughs> Woo! I mean, something. Okay. The present tense then means he's living, but it also means something else. You, your Christianity cannot remain an abstraction. Do you get that? Uh, look, plenty of people walk away from faith. And one of the reasons they walk away from faith, one of the main reasons people walk away from God is because when they look around, they don't see what? They don't see the present tense. It, it, we become sometimes as a church, sometimes we become people of a past tense all the time. We'll remember what God did here. or we remember what God did in the 16th century. or we remember the Westminster Confession of Faith. or remember what happened in our kids. Or remember what happened at camp. When we gave our lives to Christ. A lot of us live with our eyes on the past at times and past glories. That's not our Savior's work. Our Savior's work's always what? It's happening now. It is present with us and in us and to us now. And it is present in us now, or it's not real. And I, I'm gonna keep pushing this. I wanna push this because I want you to get alarmed 
if you are not connecting your head with your heart. And if you're here worshiping, but your hands are doing other things on during the week, if your mind and your eyes are straying everywhere, and yet you come here and you tell me that you had a wonderful time of personal worship this week. But and I, what I'm hoping is you'll get a little bit alarmed here, that this present tense would, would kind of rock you a little, and that perhaps you would no longer be able to have a comfortable Christianity. I despise, and so does my Savior, a comfortable Christianity. Christ has not called you to comfort. He's called you to his love. <laughs> I love him. He's wonderful. Uh, but let's begin with, what is this Christ? We believe into him. That's this kinetic falling into him. I love it. It's living. It's active. Is it living and active for you? Let's ask the first question. Are you listening? Are you listening? What is the first mark of the active, present spirit of Christ? My sheep are what? And what's this church doing? What are we doing? We're listening. We are people who want to listen, who are wanting to find new ways to hear what it is our Savior has said. Why? Because we are resting not only in a great Savior, but a great Savior who spoke what? A great word, the Bible. Because as great as our Savior is, the word is as great as him. And that because it comes from his mouth. You hear it? It can't be broken. His words can't be broken. Listen to them and trust them completely. Listen to them and listen for them. Listen for them new. If you hear the words of Jesus and they just sound dull and stupid to you or uninteresting and irrelevant, it is not, it's not the fault of the words. The fault is in you. The fault is in you. Take it to him. Take your inability to him and say, let me hear your voice then. I want the living Christ. I want the living faith. I want the living voice. And I want to hear it afresh. Look, Christians get good with the Bible. Christians get very good with the Bible. When I, went, when I worked in a restaurant, I got very good with knives. I got very good with knives. Here's a little trick for all of you. If you hold the thing you're cutting with your fingertips and you bend your knuckles like that, this is what I was taught by a chef, years ago, and, and you run the knife at, uh, flat part on your knuckles like that, and up and down, you can keep yourself from ever getting cut. You see? You're keeping your little fingertips away from that sharp edge. And when I started doing it this way, I learned how not to cut my fingers when cutting the onions. Okay. Good for you, Chris. Good for you. But uh, some of us have gotten good at handling God's Word, too and it no longer cuts us. We're no longer exposed by it. We always think, oh, I think that somebody else should hear that. Oh, I can always think of somebody else who should hear a sermon or should hear this word or should understand it. Not guessing, not imagining, not understanding that you, you have gotten so good with the word, you're a liability for this. You are, because you grew up in the church. So am I. Your liability, the better you know God, because you get to know his word in a way that it never wounds you. It never opens you up. Christ isn't present. Don't you want him living present now? I want to hear his voice. I want to hear it. I want to know it. My sheep are listening to my voice. Oh, my goodness. All right, so and what's the next part of prayer? I am getting to know them experientially. Um, uh, at, the risk of, uh, at the risk of using the, the puppy for the third week as a sermon illustration. Yes, I got a dog, okay? And it's going to be a sermon illustration for years. So just enjoy it as you vicariously live through me having an animal. <laughs> no, it's so listening and getting to know them experientially 
It's really funny to watch the dog learn my voice. He can hear it right now. That's why he's, that's why he's acting out a little bit. He can hear me. Tao will talk to him. Doesn't listen. Makes her, it irritates her to no end. But she's like, she is convinced that I imprinted the dog just to get one up on her. And so that, so that it would be my dog and not hers. Isn't that terrible? Does anybody think I would do that? <laughs> you all know me too well. Yeah. But I'm getting to know them experientially. What's he talking about here? My sheep know my voice. There's a way that we know God that, that is experiential, that is legitimately connecting not only what I think with what I feel. Now you may say to some people, well, he's a feeling person. I'm a thinking person. Well, the Lord rebuke you because he made you a thinking, feeling person. And part of the work of the Spirit is for us getting to know him experientially, getting to know him as he is, falling in love with him. And him falling in love with us. What does this mean? Look, many of you said, I got this from C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to take this all day to the bank. This is beautiful. Many of you said you wanted a God of love. Well, you got one. You know what a God of love is like? He's in your business. Oh, you all wanted a God of love who was going to say, oh, I love you all. Go do your thing. But we didn't count on it. This God of love is present tense. He's looking at, what are you doing? He's, he's watching you. What are you doing? He's walking amongst us. What? He's inspecting, he's talking, he's speaking, he's giving. New people are coming to new life in our church. It's happened. It could happen today. <laughs> We're getting to know him. And I, 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 I want nothing more than to know him more deeply. To, to have this knowledge of him ex experientially in my life so that I know there's this, there's this, wonderful, this wonderful idea this intuitive way. How do you get there? How do you get to a point where you could hear God's voice? There's a passage in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, I can't remember where, where he says, you'll hear a voice behind you telling you which way to go. Have you ever heard a voice behind you telling you which way to go? Well, maybe you're crazy, but maybe you're not if you've been in the word. Now, we'll tell you these, these hook together, don't they? If you would hear him, once you've heard him and you're listening, now what happens? You're getting to know him. You're getting to know him. And, 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 and it's filling in. You, you realize now, God's love does mean invasion of my life. God love, God's love does mean that he cares more about me than I do about him. God's love does mean he's not, he's not satisfied with my half worship. God's love means that he is zealous for my obedience and my holiness with my body and my heart. Praise him. Yes. You're getting to know him experientially. Sometimes it stings, doesn't it? Sometimes it's full of joy. Don't you want it all? I just want it all. We can have that. We're being told we can have it. What's the, the third part? And they are walking around with me. Follow me is actually the way the Greek goes. Just follow me. <laughs> I, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's pictures of this all over the Bible. Uh, hey, follow me. And then Peter leaves his career. And, and hey, follow me. And Paul leaves his religious life. And, hey, follow me. Come. And uh, this walking, this walking around, this wonderful sense of walking with God and walking alongside of him and kind of like, uh, like friendship, friendly. It's, it's very friendly, isn't it? It's very warm. But there's a, there's a dark side to it, isn't there? There's a dark side because walking with him means leaving somebody else or something else. It could be leaving an old life. It could be leaving an idolatry or an addiction. It could be leaving a relationship. It could be leaving a lifestyle. It could be leaving anything. Because there's always to follow him, there's a leaving, isn't there? 
And I hear it right here that he talks about following. Why? Why does he talk about following? Because he, he, he gives a promise. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Why is he saying, you can follow me here? Why is he saying following him is the sure thing that brings his joy? Because he will never. It is not possible. The sun would have to go out. The galaxy would have to twist itself in a knot and jump to the other side of the universe before God could forget his love for Eric or Madeline or me. Praise him. Nothing can get me out of his grip. Nothing can wrestle me from his love. Nothing can take me out of his plans. Nothing can remove me from his heart and his desire. He, you, got a, you wanted a God of love? You got one. He's a bit obsessive. Oh yeah, he's almost a stalker. Oh yes, he is. He will chase you and follow you and confront you and pursue you doggedly all the days of your life. You can run into sin and unbelief. And if you're a Christian, you'll be miserable until you turn around. It happens over and over and over again. The sheep try to act like they don't know his voice. And they get into trouble. And they come back. Why? What does all this mean? I'm giving them deep, lasting life, eternal life. And there's this idea now. He is giving eternal life now. In other words, I could start living like the eternity of love that's in my Savior today. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings. That's what his whole point is, is that we were gods. Did you catch that? Did you catch that we were gods? He, he goes back to Psalm 82 and he uses the imago Dei, the image of God in man, to describe our inherent nobility. You have an inherent, you're clothed with nobility because you look like Jesus. You look like God, whether you realize it or not. From your mind to your heart to your affection, the way you shape and the way you cry out, you reflect God as an image bearer. Well, guess what? He's giving you deep, lasting life. That's eternity now. And that image is being restored. And this is what Jesus' point and purpose is here. What he's come to do and, and why we can move forward with hope now in the present tense. He's about reshaping your eternal life in him right now. Praise him. Get busy to praise. Get busy with obedience and life and love. Get busy with the other sheep. Get busy chasing the king. Get busy knowing him. Get busy hearing him. Get busy following and leaving. Get busy, get busy knowing and experiencing so that you can, what above all things? Life, life, eternal life. Um. I use this over the years because I, I love it so much, and I want to hear it today if you've heard his voice. In a famous book called Pilgrim's Progress, which if you read will bless you deeply. It's online, it's, 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 a, it's public domain, you can all read it for free. You have no excuse not to. And it is one of the great classics of literature first, and then Christian literature even greater. It's amazing. It's an amazing piece by Paul Bunyan. But when Pilgrim when Christians, a Christian hears, hears, his, hears the voice. You know what he does? He's at the cross. And the cross is ahead of him. People's talking to him. You don't want to go there. There's nothing there. Don't believe in Jesus. He's not the God man, all that stuff. All the lies are coming in. They're confronting him. You know what he does? And I hope you do today. If you hear your master's voice, you'll leave everything and follow him. And listen to his voice. This is what, this is what Christian does. Life! Life, eternal life. I love that. He just plugs his ears 
and grabs the promises of God as the only voice worth listening to. Amen. <laughs> amen and amen. Let it be so with us and how we follow God and know him in the present tense. Let's pray. Oh, Father. I pray that today would be would begin some holy hearing. <laughs> you, would, you, would, uh, you would heal our deafness to your voice. Come and heal us, Father, so that we are leaving and following. Come and heal us, Father, so that we know you. Come and give us deep, full, lasting, eternal life. You said we're gods. <laughs> Come, dear Father. And minister new life by your son in us. <laughs> how I thank you for your love. And how I praise you in Jesus. Amen. <laughs>